0: to the Cold Brew Podcast. I am Dave Gasper. It is February 18th as we record this, and uh, we are on lockout day, what, what is it, day 80-something, probably 70, 80-something, and uh, it's been going on forever, and it might end soon, it might not, uh, but we want to, and we've been talking about this previously on the podcast here, but we want to get some real details about what's going on. Uh, with the lockout and when it could end. So naturally, we called in one of the foremost experts on baseball's lockout, on baseball in general, uh, our MLB insider at Fansided and friend of the podcast, Robert Murray. Robert, welcome to the pod, man. How are you doing? I'm doing just peachy. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, man. You're, you're down in Arizona now, and uh, you're surrounded by spring training. sites but no spring training going on at these spring training sites and MLB just announced that games were canceled through March 5th and it's it's not looking great man what's the status of, of talks right now between the two
1: sides yeah it's we're very far apart right now both of these sides are nowhere remotely close to a deal And there has been, to this point, very little urgency from either side. It seems like they meet and then it takes seven to ten days for them to meet again. And that's been going on for a few months now. And with spring training supposed to be here right now and the regular season getting pretty close, that's problematic. Because if we don't have a deal in, let's say, two or so weeks, then we're looking at a delayed start to the regular season, which has become an increased like It's a, it's an increasingly realistic possibility and that's a freaking scary thing for the league and the owners because they want to make money. Um, and and the players have been pretty consistent in saying that a lockout did not need to happen um, and that this is the lockout and that the possibility of missing regular season games is all on the owners. Yeah, it, it has been a, a bitter
0: and ugly back and forth between these two sides. Um, and you know, it hasn't quite played out in much uh, publicly uh, as it did in 2020 when they were fighting over that season getting started. Um, but, yeah, a- a- as you mentioned, um, you know, the season getting close. They have only a little uh, bit of time left. I believe MLB set the deadline for February 28th, so, so the end of the month. So as-, as we're recording right now, they have 10 days to come to an agreement to get the season to start on time. And they really haven't seemingly been close. And yeah, it's been, you know, about a week or so in between offers, and there isn't much for like bargaining sessions in between. It is just offer, wait a few days, counter offer from the other side. Like there's no there's not much talking in between it seems.
1: Yeah, no, there's minimal talk at all. Um and basically the meeting the other day was the MLBPA proposing something to the to the owners. And that meeting lasted for 15 minutes. And I, I, like, I've heard rumblings that didn't even last that long, which mm-hmm. I mean, when the you deadline had five started, minutes to get coffee, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe this meeting actually lasted for five minutes, like who knows? Um, but it, it, it's, it's bad. And like, there's some signs of optimism at the same time. Um like John Heyman tweeted it earlier today and you can hear it from both sides. There is an increased urgency. And I think we're about to see that because in major league baseball's announcement earlier today, saying that spring training games were not going to start until March 5th or they're, they're postponed until then. They also had the nugget in there that they're going to meet every day next week. At least that's the expectation. Um, and in, like, I'm a huge believer, and I learned this from Andrew Brandt, who used to be a, an executive with the Packers and is now pretty vocal on Twitter, that deadline spur action. And February 28th is that deadline. They're going to meet every day next week. It would not surprise me um, if we end up hearing signs of progress. Uh, I, I think that is the expectation going in. Um, it's just sad it ended up getting to this point because it seems like there's a lot of frustration from both sides, but especially so on the players. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and some of these players and, and some of these offers from these, from the players, like it, it just kind of resent, like it just further shows how upset they are. I mean, you see the, you know, they're, they're looking for a $105 million bonus pool for pre-arbitration players. In then in their counter offer from MLB starting at 10, they, it's like, okay, we'll drop it down to a hundred. They only dropped at $5 million. I'm like, you guys got miles to go, like at least bump it like 10 or like 15. So like we can work, you know, towards the middle here a little bit closer. Cause I feel like the middle ground here, you're going to be around 50, maybe $60 million when all that gets said and done, but you're taking these slow steps and you're taking a week in between. It's going to be until June by the time you finally find middle ground and the the player's last offer, it really just kind of seemed like a giant nothing burger. Of an offer, like like it seemed like there was only one change, uh, or at least that was reported. That they're moving off of 100 percent of year two players being arbitration eligible to 80 percent, but tacking on an extra 15 million dollars to the pre-arb bonus pool, and yeah. that's really not moving anywhere. It seems that, that that's not really a
1: concession or moving towards middle ground. No, it's not. And like, that's basically been the story of these entire negotiations is every different aspect that they've talked about has been that from both sides. And it's why we've seen like no progress in these talks whatsoever. Um, and a big goal for the players association in these talks was to come out on top because in the last CBA and even like, in even previous ones in that, like mm-hmm. there has been increased frustration, um, from their side because they thought they would they did not have a fair deals of players um, and they really want to um, come home and like win this and they're not I don't think they're going to be able to win it to the extent that they're hoping for um, I just don't think it's realistic but I would fully expect them to come out on top in this thing um, and I think the owners realize that's their goal and they're not going to be able to get a deal done without that it's just how far is the ownership level willing to squeeze or like willing to budge in order to please the players. And, um, you hear varying, varying things from different people throughout the league about that. But, um, this next week is crucial. I can tell you that right now. It's if we do not have, I, I don't expect the deal to get done next week, but if we don't have significant signs of progress, then that's when I'm really gonna worry because I, I, I see you laughing because he's worth significant. The, 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 yeah, significant sticks out. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, yeah that that word's gonna stick with me forever. <laughs> yeah, but but continue, um, please. Um, there was something else I was gonna say. I can't remember what it is, but like that was the main point of what I was gonna say.
0: Yeah, yeah. They they need to find progress. Uh, they they need to find some uh, sort of significant progress by this week.
1: Correct and. I would say it was probably about a week after the lockout happened. Um, I had somebody tell me that they thought a June start to the regular season was going to be the case. He said that, or he echoed those comments, I would say about two weeks ago. Uh, I don't think it's going to be in that extreme, but like we could be looking at a very, very, very late start to the regular season if we don't have a deal done or close by next week or even like a week after that.
0: Yeah, because I mean, if they miss the deadline of February 28th to start the season on time, is it going to end up being something like we saw at the beginning of the lockout, where, you know, the deadline, you know, came and gone to to enter a lockout, then we entered into one and then a month went by and they didn't talk to each other. Like, you know, if they miss February 28th, are they not going to talk to each other again until March 28th? You know, is it going to be that kind of, you know, we're just going to let this roll
1: however long? Yeah. I mean, it's a fair question, but I, I can't see any scenario in which they go a month without talking because at that point when the lockout was officially happening, um, they had time on their side. Um, they had mm-hmm. the entire off season to look forward to now. We're like, we're at like a very real point of missing spring training games, which that's already per like a, a scenario that's playing out. And then also the threat of missing regular season games, which keep, keeps money out of the owner's pockets. Um, Yeah. So I can't see them going without or going a month without talking. I just that doesn't seem like a a very likely scenario to me. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been very interesting for uh, to to watch
0: these negotiations and how long they spend in between going back and forth with offers. Um, And and I saw a report, I forget who it was from, uh, that was basically saying that MLB wants to kind of have, you know, your regular bargaining sessions, you sit there at a table for, you know, four or five hours, you hash it out back and forth and try to kind of work your way towards it. But the players union doesn't really seem interested in that and would rather do just exchanging proposals back and forth at each other. And I'm curious as to why that is, because that strategy of just taking five days, seven days, and just throwing uh, proposals back and forth that don't really change that much it doesn't seem to be productive and it makes me curious if the players and the players leadership is kind of concerned or, or feels that if they get into like a full-on you know four or five hour marathon bargaining session that they may end up losing you know because they've done that before in previous deals and they've come out you know looking poorly so do you think they feel that if they do that again if they just get into marathon talks back and forth they can end up being talked into circles or, or get tricked by Manfred and, and Halem.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good observation by you actually. Um, Thank you. I don't think MLB is afraid of it. By, like, no, or no, not, not MLB but PA. the Players association is afraid of that. Um, be, but I can understand why MLB would yeah. want to get in that scenario because Rob Manfred is a very good lawyer. Um, like you can say whatever you want to say about him as a commissioner um, oh, but, and we say plenty about him as a commissioner on here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do. Um, but he he's a very good lawyer. Um, and Dan Halem is regarded by many people as a very bright individual. Um, that being said, Halem, I'm pretty confident it was Halem, got screamed at by Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller in one of these past negotiations um, regarding a different, like, I can't remember what the scenario was, but um, they voiced their displeasure and like, maybe they, there was a sign that something could come of it, but I mean, like in terms of like progress and talks, but nothing ultimately did. Um, but if we're, I, I can't see MLBPA like Tony Clark and those guys being afraid of getting, getting into a, like, a, an extended meeting with what the MLB just because that's what they're paid to do. Um, and if they're afraid of that, then they're the wrong people for the job which I know some people believe that's the case. Um, Yeah. But uh, like, I don't think that's the scenario they're going to run from.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, cause like you look at last time and the last deal turned out so horribly for the players. And I mean, that, that was kind of Clark's doing. And really if the players don't come out on top in this one, I don't see any way Tony Clark can keep his job. Like, like seriously, like, if they lose this, with, with, especially with how unified and motivated the players are uh, and how invested they are in, into this whole thing, if they don't get really kind of some of the stuff that they're looking for, I don't see Clark staying very long.
1: No, me neither. Um, that's, yeah, like this is a very crucial negotiation for him because I would argue that this is the most important negotiation in the MLBPA history. Um, if this thing goes wrong for him and the players, the players are going to want somebody to hold accountable. And you can't hold anybody more accountable than Tony Clark because he is the head of the PA. Um, And I'm sure he's very well aware of that uh, from talking to him a few times. He's a very smart and very self-aware guy. Um, I'd imagine with Max Scherzer, with Andrew Miller and with the other people that are on the PA board, um, they're going to hold, Clark accountable and not accept a deal that is less than what they believe is they deserve
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and and players may not even you know sign off on it
0: even even if Clark suggests that they do um yeah that it's it's gonna be very tense a a lot is on the line for a lot of these guys and you know I'll, I'll ask this even though his job probably isn't in as much jeopardy but what about Rob Manfred because his whole thing, you know, the entire time was, oh, you know, I was the labor guy for so many years. I was the reason we had labor peace for so long. You know, I'm the right guy for the job because I can do all that. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm great with, you know, getting deals done. And now we've got this extended lockout and the players almost universally hate him. And he's like PR for him is horrible and really, kind of everyone just seems really kind of done with Manfred. But he he doesn't answer to the fans. He doesn't answer to the players. He answers to the thirty uh, bosses that he has. The thirty MLB owners are they kind of getting you know upset with him, or is there any chance that Manfred could be out at some point soon? No, dang it!
1: No. No. So- I wanted good news there, Bert. Yeah. See, I'm a, i am like to deliver the bad news, um, but like Manfred, the players don't like him. Uh, you're, you're right about that. Yeah. You can see how vocal all the players are, especially Marcus Stroman. He is not held back, yeah. but Manfred is exactly what the owners want. And he's the face of this entire thing. And he takes all the bad PR while a lot of the owners, they don't, face that same scrutiny and he's basically everybody's punching bag um and that's why the ownership level is satisfied with him um is they want somebody who is going to try to get the best deal um and you hear even some people say that like the owners well actually i, I can't say that um but like uh, yeah i definitely can't say what i was about to say all right <laughs> yeah that's uh off the, the record stuff yeah that's yeah that's definitely off the record stuff Um, but Manfred is exactly what the owners want and I can't see them wanting to move on from him, um, because he's doing the exact job that they want him to do. I'm sure there's frustration, um, on certain different things just because nobody's ever going to be completely satisfied with the job somebody does. Um, but for all the big key things, I think Manfred is doing exactly what the owners want. Yeah, I've wanted him out so bad, but
0: you know, like is is it too much to ask to to have someone that can be a punching bag for everyone else that actually cares about the game of baseball? You know, like because like every everyone would throw punching bags at at a Bud Seelig. You know, everyone do that. Everyone blames Seelig for a bunch of stuff, but at least Seelig cared about the game of baseball, or at least he appeared
1: to. Manfred doesn't even appear to. Yeah, like that's the the fact that people think Manfred doesn't care about baseball. I mean, like I mean that's. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people believe that. I can't confirm that by any means, (laughs) Um, but like Bud Sealy definitely did love baseball and he obviously was huge for the game in Milwaukee. Um, I mean, he ended up like he he was, yeah. He He created the team essentially. He he willed it into existence. Yeah, no, exactly. And like, obviously they're completely different styles of commissioners. but I think that's also something else that the ownership level wanted is they want somebody who could be more of a lawyer rather than a fan. Um, And Mafford is always going to look out for what's best for the owners. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what they want. I got to respond to the texture from the GM. Oh, okay. Big, big, important stuff uh, that our MLB insider
0: Robert Murray is, is doing over here, but it's a very key thing that, that you said there, uh, Robert, that I want to point out on. Manfred is always going to do what's best for the owners. Whereas I think what everyone else is kind of looking for is have him, having him do what's best for the game. And there is a very big difference between doing what is best for the owners and doing what is best for the game of baseball. Sorry. Yeah. You, I, I ended up hearing you like right after what you got, like yeah, you, you're a little, you're a little distracted. I understand. But basically like I, I was pointing out what you said there about Manfred doing what's best for the owners and how that's a very big difference between uh, doing what's best for the owners and doing what's best for the game of baseball.
1: That's right. Yeah. They wanted a businessman that had these had the league and had like, and be their representative for the ownership side. Um, so as I said, he's been doing exactly what they want to do. Um, even though it's not been pretty from a PR perspective, like man- Manfred gets more hate. Than I think any commissioner in sports, even over Roger Goodell, yeah. who I thought um, was going to be like the king of the booze, um, <laughs> yeah, because like I mean, you hear him walk out of the NFL draft and it just gets thousands yeah. upon thousands mm-hmm. of booze. Uh, but Mafford to me is is significantly worse in terms of like the PR level. I'm not saying yeah. yeah. And we finally had
0: a, an MLB draft this last year with fans. Like, that, that were in the arena, and and when he walked out, fans were able to boo him. And, you know, it was great. You know, for the past however many years, the draft has been on MLB Network. No fans yeah. there, so he doesn't get booed when he walks out. Um, so that, I think, it is great to see, having the MLB draft be an event where fans can go to and boo the commissioner. Because I will buy tickets today to get a chance to go <laughs> and boo Rob Manfred, uh, wherever he's at. Um, yeah. But. It's yeah, it's it's ugly for PR for Manfred, but, you know, maybe he can save some face if we can save opening day uh, and if they can get a deal done in time. So, Robert, in your expert opinion and, and with all your knowledge, all the people that you talk to, do you believe that opening day will start as scheduled on March 31st? No. Oh, oh,
1: Robert, you're killing my soul. Uh but well, I do why do you say no? <laughs> While there's some optimism heading into next week, they have a lot of ground to make up. And I mean a lot. And I just can't see it being done in a week or even 10 days. I think it's gonna end up taking maybe two or three weeks at the least. Um, maybe both sides surprise me and end up making significant progress. I use the word again. Um <laughs> And like they end up coming to a deal, but I just I don't see that being the case. I would would look for, at the earliest to me, a mid-April start, Um, and then we go from there. Um, But my optimism that we're having opening day on time is like fading by the minute.
0: Oh man, that text from the GM
1: really just kind of killed it there. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, like, I mean, it's everybody's trying to figure out like what everybody else is hearing. Um, and basically what everybody else is hearing is just like, <laughs> no. but, like that's, yeah, that's about as well as I could have said it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds
0: that sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's coming down to the wire. As you said, you know, baseball's motivated by deadlines, people are motivated by deadlines. Um, I, I wrote a 15-page term paper the night before it was due. Didn't start it before, whole See? thing. And guess what? I got an A. So, I got it. boom, nailed it. Got myself a room in the library. You know, just kind of blocked everything off. Had some white noise playing. Cranked it out all nighter. It was great. I, hang on, just white noise. Well, like I, I had like white noise in my headphones to just kind of like black out everything to like make sure I could, I could focus. You Know and the, like I gave myself like breaks like once every hour. You know, like I'd play one song, like so it would just be like a three minute break or something. And then, Wait, so back. what kind of songs are we talking here? Uh, just whatever for my Spotify playlist. So, like Taylor Swift, I don't think I had Taylor Swift. Um, I, I do have a couple of her songs in my Spotify, but I did, I don't think I listened to her that night.
1: Are you a uh, big Swifty over there? Big Swifty, Swift if you can't. Like I, I love Team Swift, um, although I, I'm gonna try to make everybody aware uh, of who this guy is. Jack Potts. Um, very, 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 very good. If you like vibe music, also the Hollow Coves. Oh, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll give a shout out to my guy Nathan Much for that one. There you uh, go, friend of the pod, and uh, yeah, friend of yours truly. He got me on both, and it's changed my my music life. So there you go. You know, you know who who definitely was my playlist though.
0: Shania Twain. Whoa, one hundred percent. Yeah, Shania I'm, Twain's good. She slaps. I'm, absolutely, absolutely. She. I'm a huge Shania guy. God, I want to see her in concert. We we need to head up to Vegas at some point this summer and and uh, catch a Shania concert over there. Yeah, it's only a four hour drive
1: for me. So yeah,
0: just... it, it's a probably a four hour flight for me. But I wa- God, I want to go so bad. Anyways, we're getting off track. Um, <laughs> uh so it seems that neither side here wants to be the first one to budge you know like like you're over here you get your entrenched in your positions no one wants to be the first one to take that step toward middle ground but someone has to mm-hmm. do, do you think it's going to be the league or do you think it's going to be the players to take that first step it's a hell
1: of a question um I'm going to have to say it's it's the players that make the first move because they're asking for a lot more than the ownership level is. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they end up indicating some signs of being willing to budge or like budge on some of their demands, I think the ownership is really going to start like coming toward them on certain different things. And then we're going to end up seeing some movement. Um, so that's just a guess rather than like a sourced opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's my guess just because Players are asking for a lot. Yeah. I
0: mean, and like what they're asking for isn't unreasonable, but there's a lot of changes they want to make to, um, you know, the financial aspects of the game and how things kind of work. I mean, you got the pre-R bonus pool, uh, the competitive balance tax, draft lottery compensation, um you know, all, all these really kind of extra things. The owners are really kind of looking for more of the status quo it seems although with stiffer penalties on the competitive balance tax and you know that's that's something the players
1: really are are upset about the the competitive balance tax yeah no they're very upset about that and like they want integrity they want competition in this game um and that's like they don't want owners to be incentivized by tanking Mm -hmm. um which i totally agree with because i think tanking is relatively boring i mean it's a it's a good strategy if you want um to like go all into a rebuild um i I mean i totally get you've seen teams have success with it um but actively trying to lose rather than win is bad for the game and i i mentioned we were talking about this on on the baseball insiders uh, earlier this week and just imagine being a star player on a team that's actively not trying to win like the number one example for me was nolan aronado with the rockies yeah. Where he ended up coming up with that team, emerged as a superstar, was kind of considering leaving, and then he got assurances that they were going to try to like compete, um, and try like try to win, um, signs a contract, and then they do absolutely nothing, and he gets into it with Jeff Braddich and the ownership there in Colorado, and gets a trade. Um, like you got to imagine, there's other players in. Baseball, like in his position, that feel the exact same way as Arenado. And if I was in his shoes, I'd be, I'd be pissed. I'd want to win. Um, Yeah, I just, I I just don't think tanking is good for the game.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I mean, that's where you see a lot of these uh, guys. You know, they, they trade off their veterans when they do rebuild and whatnot. You know, the Brewers traded Carlos Gomez and Jonathan Lucroy, and you know all these other guys during their rebuild. And, you know, although the Brewers kind of did that rebuild, I think they did it kind of the the best way possible, you know, that they didn't really strip it all the way down to the bare bones and go to the bottom of the of the records for three, four years um, mm. and take a really slow way back up. I mean, they worked their way back up pretty quickly. They've stayed competitive. They, they've signed free agents. You know, they, they've done they've they've signed their their current guys. Um, So really, they seem to have done it the right way. And of course, this is all with uh, David Stearns at the helm. So like all these complaints about like small markets, like tanking, rebuilding, the Brewers don't really fit into that as much. And I want to get your thoughts on this too, before uh, we get done with this episode, the report from Andy Martino this past week about David Stearns' contract, uh, that, that he has a vesting option for 2023 that will vest if the Brewers don't win the NL pennant. If they win the pennant and make the world series, he becomes a free agent and, and his contract is up. If they don't, he stays another year. What are your thoughts on that? Is it accurate? Um, what's your kind of thought on that whole report?
1: I was surprised it came out. Um, mm-hmm. just because the brewers are very protective of con- like contract stuff, but especially with David Stearns. Um, and I can't see. well, let me let me start this over again. Like, I want to think about this because I want like I have a very strong opinion on this because I talked to different people. Um, so the Mets, like to me, they are going to want to hire Stearns as soon as they can, and if that's the case, uh, where they the Brewers end up winning the pennant next year, and he becomes free. I would imagine the Mets are going to go all in for Stearns. Um, and I'm very curious to see how he responds one to all these rumors so far. He's like, he's completely denied them or he's like, I shouldn't say he's complete silence. He's, he's silent. It doesn't really offer much comment. Uh, but he's also somebody who is very close to the vest does not like things leaking and everything with the Mets and everything about their interest in Stearns has leaked. Um, and I asked a couple people who are around him, like how he's dealt with it. And basically it's like, it doesn't phase him. Um, he hasn't mentioned it at all. Um, at least to like some of these people. Um, but I, I think Stearns would work. Um, like he would do well in New York because one, he's a very good executive. He's thrived with Mm -hmm. a smaller budget. You get him with Steve Cohen, who's got pockets that are endless. You've got a relationship with Billy Epler. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's his childhood team. Like all these factors work really well together. I don't know if the report from Martino is true. I have no reason to doubt it. Um, if that is indeed the case, that is a structure that I have not heard about, um, which is pretty unique. Um, it's obviously not going to go away it is like the Stearns to New York talk is only just getting started. Um, and I, I I know some people in Milwaukee would be stunned if he left because he's in a very good situation right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, he genuinely enjoys it. Um, but like that possibility is not going to go away until he signs an extension or just flat out says, I'm not going to New York.
0: Yeah. And that's going to, and that's, you know, It's not going to be typical for him to say something like that. Um, And I think we'll like if this is indeed the case, I think what will be really interesting is if the Brewers do win the pennant, they make the World Series, but they lose the World Series. So so they end up falling short of the ultimate goal of, of winning a title. Then it's like, okay, you're out of your contract, but you still have that sting of not getting the job done. So would you want to still come back? Or would you want to be like, all right, look, I did that. I'm off elsewhere. That's something that, that would be very interesting to see. But as we said, you know, previously um, on you know previous episode, you got to get there first before mm-hmm. you can worry about uh, winning or losing the World Series. You got to at least make it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a very interesting structure. And yeah, he's got it made in Milwaukee. I mean, he's got ownership that that supports him. I mean, not to the level that Steve Cohen can support, um, but he's got ownership that supports him. The job is his as long as he wants it. Uh, great relationship with the manager. The fans pretty much adore him. You know, there's a few stragglers on Twitter, but they generally have less than 10 followers, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so it's
1: it's a really sweet gig that he's got lined up. No, it, it definitely is. And, like, he will not leave that situation that he has in Milwaukee unless it's for a really special opportunity. Um, and even then, I know Mark Antanasio loves him. Yeah, um, it's going to be very difficult for him to like let him leave without putting together a significant, like massive offer. Very uh, significant offer. The yeah. Brewers are all about significant offers. Hey, I'm telling you, they, they made a significant offer with Pomeranz and they, they, they got did. them. So yeah, anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. The significant man, the significant guest
0: himself. Robert Murray joining us on the pod this week. Um, Robert, thanks so much, man, for, for all the insight um, and, and for talking with us. And even though a lot of the news on the lockout was depressing, I thank you for it anyways. You are very welcome, my friend. I appreciate you having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll be doing this again, hopefully, in the near future. Hopefully. And hopefully we'll have some baseball games to talk about at that point. Currently, I'm watching Campbell and Appalachian State. Because college baseball started up this weekend, so
1: that's what I'm watching. I've got no, got no MLB, so I've got Campbell and Appalachian State. Hey, maybe the Brewers surprise you with a, uh, a big signing once the lockout is over.
0: Ooh, ooh, a little tease from Robert Murray as we wrap <laughs> up this yeah. podcast.
1: Yeah, maybe that was a tease, maybe it wasn't. But hopefully, um, yeah, well nothing would surprise me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they got to at least get one reliever, at least. Oh, they're going to get a reliever. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. So
1: the the one that I'm very curious about is Nelson Cruz. Uh, Yes. I've been
0: saying this for months.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. Like usually like the brewers, they pursue guys that make a lot of sense, but you also wouldn't expect them to be in because they were in on Trevor Rosenthal, didn't get him. Mm -hmm. They were in on Justin Turner. Didn't get him. They were in on Jackie Bradley Jr. Got him. And that didn't work (laughs) out. (laughs) Boy, that was bad. Um, (laughs) And like Nelson Cruz, he makes so much sense. So if if they make a big move, I could see being him. Um, Yeah, it's just me more speculating as a really good fit than anything. But yeah, um, Yeah,
0: we've been saying the same thing. I mean, former Brewer... You, like, you got the DH now, like, that's pretty much been said, that's coming in, yeah. so might as well get the best DH out there, you know, because, well, are, are you going to trust Keston here on that spot? I mean, that's, you, you, you don't really know with Keston, you know, you, you don't know what you have there, so, but Nelson Cruz, you pretty much know what you have there, um, so, yeah, that would be, uh, that would be very interesting, so hopefully, hopefully it happens. That That's what I've been
1: pushing for for months. Yeah, no, it's, They're going to have a lot of competition, obviously with the universal DH being a thing. They're going to have all the teams in the National League. The team I'm watching is the Padres. Padres love that guy, and they were in on him before the lockout. I don't think that's been reported yet, so there we go. Oh, Um, there we go. Breaking, breaking rumors. There we go. So we got, uh, we got that out there. But um, Dodgers too, I think makes sense. I think they were in, Um, so they're going to, they're going to have some big. The Dodgers are in on everyone, man. (laughs) They are. Yeah, that's. uh, By the way, I just got a text from my my mom. Um, You would love tonight. Snow and wind up to fifty five miles an hour. So um, it's windy out here. That sounds terrible. So I'm yeah. I'm enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, you're down in
0: Arizona now. You've left us uh, in Wisconsin, um, and you hate cheese, anyways. So your Wisconsin card was kind of already revoked. And Um, I hate beer. Oh my god. Yeah, your Wisconsin card has 100% been been revoked, man, but now you've got a new place down in down in Arizona, so now you got to get your Arizona card. We're working on that as we speak. Yeah. What by, do you have to do way, to get an Arizona card? Do you have to step on a cactus or something? I've run into a cactus before, so I've gotten that. There you <laughs> go. He's already in well, Arizona already.
1: Question for you. So, oh. this is our our final sign out here is I went out to a bar last weekend um, with two buddies mm-hmm. and one of them ordered two beers and two shots. How much did it cost? In Old Town Scottsdale. Oh.
0: Is, are, are we looking on the cheaper end or the expensive end here?
1: I'll give you a hint. It's, a, it's on the expensive end. Okay. Two beers and two shots. And they were a casual like 12 to 16 ounce beers. Coors Light. I'm going to say it costs like 40 bucks. Higher? 50? 60? 70? $83. $83? Yeah. For two uh, beers and two,
0: two yeah. shots of what?
1: Yeah, uh, they asked for like cherry bombs or whatever. They ended up getting something. Cherry
0: that bombs?
1: And they, they they didn't get cherry bombs. It was like some weird thing. And like he was fully expecting to pay like cherry bombs, like a two dollar shot. Yeah. And like it was 83 bucks. So what the pre tip? Pre tip. That's not like, oh my God. It to say they tip zero bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Welcome to Arizona. I thankfully I didn't drink that night. So that was clutch. I'm not much of a drinker. Yeah. Oh my God. For that
0: much, I wouldn't be either.
1: No, like, and I ended up going over to a different place with some some friends. Well, same friends and met up with some other people. We found four dollar beers. So like you can
0: you can go to Quick Trip here and for $83, you could probably get a hundred cans of beer. Like you could get a you could get like three 30 30 packs of beer plus a plus a 12 pack or something, and yeah. that would cost you less than $83.
1: Yeah, you could actually buy a
0: quick trip for $83. <laughs> oh my god uh, i love quick trip it is it is everything we need to get them as a sponsor on this podcast that would be great
1: that would be huge um, for the brand that would, like yeah, by that the way,
0: way. oh go ahead got my quick trip glazers right here there you go so that is that is completely for the brand just went to quick trip today got my pack of glazers quick trip Very sponsors product.
1: yeah boom you do, do you have quick trip down in arizona so they have something called QT. It's They call it Quick Trip, but it's QT. Uh, it, it's spelled with a Q? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I can trust it. Yeah, it's actually very good. It's a very nice store. Um, but I prefer Quick Trip back at home. Yeah, it's
0: it's just By not way, the same.
1: Quick Trips uh, in, back in Wisconsin, their chicken tenders are... Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. Uh, and the spicy chicken sandwich. and Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm making chicken for dinner tonight.
0: So there you go, uh, there you know. go. Nope. So all right, good sir. All right, we will leave it at that. Uh, Robert Murray again joining us here on the uh, Cold Brew Podcast, updating us on all the lockout news. Hopefully soon we'll have baseball back. So for Robert Murray, I'm Dave Casper. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.